Welcome to another week of um, Cool Tools Show and Tell. We have a fantastic guest this week. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, our guest is Jane McConical. And Jane, tell us who you are. Well, I'm a game designer and a futurist. Um, my job title is the Director of Game Research and Development at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. And the way I like to explain what I do is I try to create games that help people find a way to face uncertain futures with a little more hope and creativity, whether we're thinking about climate migration, the next pandemic, or what kind of transformative policies would help us solve issues like economic inequality or racial injustice. And I try to make it fun and imaginative so that we can, we can, we can tackle serious challenges, but playing at the same time. Yeah, and you're a fantastic teacher, and you released a book, which we'll get to, telling people about how they could do a better job about um, anticipating the future. I um, have to credit you with introducing me to Werewolf Game, <laughs> okay, which is now the number one popular game in our family for family reunions. Amazing. Well, we will have to have a separate conversation where I can give you my secret pro tips. Okay. To really, especially for when you are the werewolf. I have oh, a, yes. a, a I'm list a of wolf. master strategies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a really bad liar. So, um, so Jane, um, what's the tool that you have for us? Uh, what, what's one of okay. your favorite tools? Well, this has been the tool that has really changed my just sort of everyday life the most in the last two years. So this is a, um, it's a respiratory trainer. So this one is called the breather. There are lots of different versions. Um, they've been making them since about the eighties and it, you put it in your mouth, kind of like a pipe, like you're going to smoke a pipe, um, and you breathe in, but the way the tool is designed is that it actually sucks air in the opposite direction as you breathe in. So it's kind of like a, uh, like a resistance band or oh, uh, like barbells for your diaphragm and for all of the breathing muscles in your throat and your chest. Right. right. So um, they invented it, you know, in the eighties to help people with, with lung disease or recovering from severe respiratory infections, they started doing clinical trials on these devices and found out it's really good for increasing your exercise stamina. It lowers blood pressure. It, if you are doing a lot of public speaking, which is the reason why I use it. And, you know, if you're talking on stage for an hour, you actually need a pretty serious mm -hmm lung capacity and, and endurance, um, in breathing. And I also, you know, I picked it up during the pandemic. I like many people, I think I had a lot of anxiety, especially early on. And I found that I was doing this like involuntary breath holding, um, which can be like an adaptive response to stress or shock where you just stop breathing. Hmm. Um, and so I started looking for techniques or tools that right. could help me to get back into that full belly, lower diaphragm breathing. Do you want to see me use it? Well, so I want to describe <laughs> it. It's, it's sort of like maybe like a baby's rattle, kind of a plastic rattle size or like a big, you know, pipe for pot mm. <laughs> pipe or something. It's kind of bulbous, but it's, it's about the size. It's a little smaller than your hand. And um, how often would you be doing it? Um, like once a day for a, particular doing some reps or are you kind yeah. of thinking whenever you think of it, you kind of um, use it in practice? 
Yeah. It's totally like, uh, like a weight workout routine. Um, so you, you start out by doing 10 reps in the morning and 10 reps in the mm. evening. And it's interesting. It's actually, you can see these like dials on the side. Yeah. Uh-huh. They actually increase the resistance. So when you first start using it, you're oh, like I at see. a level one and you can change. So you do for inhalation, it, it gives you resistance right. and then for exhalation and you can kind of set them separately. So if you're, if you you know really want to work on the inspiratory, you know, capacity, then you right. can set that higher. But um, the, you know, I'm like a science geek. I always like to see if the stuff I'm trying has any evidence. So, right. um, I, just before this conversation, I was going into Google scholar and Google news to see, have they done any recent, you know, uh-huh. scientific papers. And they do say five minutes a day is as effective as they've trialed, um, you know, more extensive use and the latest clinical trial found five minutes a day was sufficient to get, get benefits. And have you noticed in your own that you, your dial is moving up and so you now have at least more ability to overcome that resistance? Yeah. So I'm a, you know, again, as a gamer and a number geek, I was tracking um, uh, all of my data. And when I started my, um, inhalation, like my inspiratory capacity oh, right. was less than a woman, my height normally uh-huh. is. Um, and now as of this week, I'm at 170% uh, predicted capacity for a woman, my height. Wow. So I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to like sing on stage. I could do opera now. I feel like I've really, uh, <laughs> but, but, but has it actually given you at least more confidence when you're speaking publicly? Mm-hmm. Yes. It more, more confidence. I mean, it really, it, it, it just feels, uh, it's like a, it's like a stamina, you know, I'm also a runner and there's a difference when you start running and training, you can go from feeling like you're putting in an effort to just having sort of effortless for miles. And I do, I do find that sort of effortless quality, um, has come back and, uh, I don't, you know, I'm sure I, it was interesting. A lot of speech therapists, um, ENTs have said during the pandemic, people were like stress holding in their throats, in their vocal cords. Um, and I feel like there's just some, I'm sure there's something in there, like the sort of the psychological connections to breathing. I've really been working out. Let's see you, um, demo one, one breath or okay yeah cycle. and i don't know if it'll sound weird in the microphone you may have to like i hope it sounds the weird <laughs> so you were holding it for a long time and when you're holding it is that part of the exercises, not just to blow, but to hold that, that. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's, it's not that you're holding the breath at the top. It's you're sort of elongating. Uh, So, um, and it's interesting. You, you don't really know until you try the sensation, it's actually takes you longer to take a deep breath because you're working against mm. the device, sucking the air out of, out the Mm. other way. So whereas normally you might be able to fill your lungs in, you know, a couple seconds, it takes longer to draw in all that air because you're working against the resistance. Okay. So it sort of naturally elongates your wow. inhalation wow. and exhalation. Okay, that's cool. So um, what is the name of that again, please? This one's called The Breather. And I got it because it just had a lot of good you know, reviews uh-huh. on Amazon and it's right. not expensive at all. It was like $49. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, 
but I th there's lots of manufacturers that make these. This one's cool because it comes with an app and it you can sort of log your um, oh, your training. And um, so that's for me. That's but it, but it's not like transferring the data. It's not like recording it automatically. It's just a but manually you. Well, you can start a program so you can tell it how many reps you want to do, and right, then right. it'll lead you through that, and then right. it'll log that you did it. Yeah, so it's a little, a little better than um, manual. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Well, great. Um, that's one we had, didn't know about. So thank you. What's another um, favorite of your tools? So this one, I thought I'd share something fun um, that if this one, like if the breather helps you breathe, uh, this one can take your breath away. Um, this is <laughs> this is a toy I got for my family that I thought would be just for my kids. And I uh -huh. wind up using it myself a lot. So if I lower my, um, and I'm totally going to get on this and demonstrate it too, but, um, you can kind of see in the background, right. that is, um, the Ganji carousel. So, um, Ganji, I learned about, I, this is a toy manufacturer. It's based, I think it's German. Um, and, uh, they make really sturdy, tools for play that um, encourage kids to move their bodies and use their imagination. And um, this is their carousel and it's at an angle, the seat. So you mm. sit on it, but it's at an angle so that you can actually um, propel yourself spinning by using your core muscles, your abdominal oh, muscles. Um, and you kind of tuck your knees in and um, it's supposedly, you know, it's supposedly for kids, but every adult who has come into my house uh, since we got it has hopped on it um and tried to use it you go faster if you're like i have seven-year-old daughters yeah. they go a little faster than we do but um it's really interesting you know i like it because um there's a form of play uh if you think about like the different kinds of play like you know serious games and then there's an imaginative play uh, there's a form of play that it's like play that induces vertigo. Um, kids, you know, have merry-go-rounds and, um, you know, they're, will play at, you know, great heights and slides and things that kind of activate our nervous system, um, get, get us excited, but also we have to control in a way, like control our yeah. response to really right exciting stimulus and like grownups there's not really a lot of ways in normal life that we get that um in in game studies it's called illinks so um, what illinks i-l-l-y-n-x it's like it's really philosophers and psychologists of play this is um roger kawa who invented these sort of four forms of play and he uh, said when we grow up we stop we stop participating in this, this vertigo inducing. And he was like, maybe it'd be good for grownups to kind of, you know, shock. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a visceral shock to your body. It kind of wakes you up and you're, you know, wow, wow. I mean, making yourself dizzy. And uh, uh -huh. anyway, I like to sit on it when I'm just, uh, it's like kind of, it's like the opposite of meditation. <laughs> like if you want to wake yourself up. <laughs> I wonder if you could do meditate and then go on to here, kind of like going from a sauna into an ice bath. Yes, there you go. It would be like, it's literally uh, that kind of, yeah, that shock to right. the system going between. Meditate for 20 minutes and then spin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Literally yes. spin. Would yeah. you like to see it in action? Yes. And by the way, am I like the guest on this show who's most willing to potentially embarrass themselves? You've got yes. them, like sucking on this device. <laughs> uh, I definitely. Okay. I feel yeah. Like... yeah. Let's, let's show it. Okay. Here we go. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs> would would a large person would a large person be able to handle that? Can you? Elevate My husband the... is six foot three, and he uh, uh, he does use it. So okay, all right, yeah. I mean, it looks it looks like you're kind of getting pretty compact to kind of. Yes. Down, so yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's definitely, it's easier, it's easier for kids. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I will not give a guarantee the, the website, when you order, it does say it's for kids. So, you know, right, 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 right. Uh, but um, I, I enjoy subjecting so, myself yeah. to it as well. <laughs> um, so we'll put a link into the show notes about that. Um, and again, the name of it is. Uh, Ganji. So G O N G E. Ganji. Uh, and it's their carousel. Carousel. Okay. Yeah. Spinning. I get it. Okay. It's a carousel. Yeah. Okay, it's well, like your you. own little private carousel. Yeah. You're, you're, it's, it, those are two, which I've never heard anything <laughs> about before. So that's great. I always love to have new ones. Um, what's another um, tool, Jane? So this one you might've heard of, um, but uh, I had never tried it until recently. So um, this is an app. It's the made by the Cornell lab, which is a famous mm -hmm. bird lab um, at Cornell University. So I'll just like hold it up. It's called Merlin. Right. And this is a super cool app that lets you be a citizen scientist and report bird sightings, mm -hmm. um, but also to kind of educate yourself or inform yourself about birds. And um, it's interesting, you know, I know a lot of people during the lockdown got really into bird watching. It was just something you could do, but I'm not, I don't think I have the patience for bird watching, um, you know, like looking through binoculars, like trying to catch a glimpse. Um, I just like, I always got frustrated and didn't want to do it. And then I found this app, which allows you to, instead of bird watch, you bird listen. And if you hear a bird, you don't have to see it, but if you hear it, you just hold up your phone and um, start, it's a sound ID. So you can see there's like a little button for sound ID, and then you just hit the record button and it will listen and it records it and then it searches its database it, using your location for birds that are native to your location it matches the sound and oh it's so fun now now i can finally for the first time in my life i can hear a bird call and i can say oh that's a morning dove or that's uh, a common raven and it just changed my experience of walking around the world where it's like hearing an old friend. And I, I, I don't know, I, I never could be a bird watcher, but I am learning so much from this app and my yeah. kids love it. Wherever we go somewhere new, right. they ask like, mom, can we do a sound ID? Maybe we'll, yeah. because it records every time you hear a bird for the first time, it, it counts as a lifer as like it's right. in the bird watching tradition. Um, and so they're obsessed with, you know, where it's just like playing Pokemon go. Right, right, right. Collecting catching them, collect. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, yeah. That, I mean, that is a lot of the driving. Um, yeah. I, I use this app too. It's really <sighs> fantastic. Um, and it's um, actually right now, probably can hear, I can hear these birds faintly out the window and it's good enough to actually record things that seem that you could barely hear. That's what has impressed me most is that it's, you don't need to have a bird right next to you to capture, capture the sound. It will identify. 
and it will identify multiple birds if, if there's more than one bird singing at the same time, which is really good because sometimes there's more than one sound going on and you don't even know which one. It's interesting hanging around bird watchers for a long time is that most bird watchers first identify birds by their song first. Mm. If you're around these people, they're like, Oh, here, here, this bird, they don't see them at all. They're not watching. They're just, they're doing what you're doing is they're just identifying it by the song. That's sort of almost the first thing that they do. It's so the clue. It's, and then you pull out the binoculars and start right, looking to, for to, it. To, yeah. To verify it's a verification, but in fact, they're actually identifying them usually by the sound first, mm. if they can. And, um, there's also something interesting about this app that you might um, find um, intriguing because of your knowledge of AI. The hack that they used to make the app work is they actually take the sound and turn it into a sonogram, mm -hmm. a visual sonogram. And they use the AI to identify visually wow. the the pattern, it was sort of easier to to do that rather than try to, to figure out the audio sequence. They actually, the, the, the sort of AI image perception was much better. So they turned it into a visual mm. picture first and used the AI to identify that picture of the sound. Ah, well, that makes total sense now that you've explained it. And it's interesting. I have found that so helpful when because you can replay the, right, the bird right, right. sounds the recordings and i'll go back and listen to them and i look at the sonogram right. it, it it teaches me to recognize the pattern like it's easier for me to recognize the, well, the pattern, pattern of the sound pattern by yes. seeing visually yes 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 and so that like once i've heard a bird i'm like right, okay right. let me look at this the the way it, it um, manifest visually. And then that helps me recognize it better right, right, when I hear right. it again. Yeah. Yes. That's really cool. Um, yeah. It's, it, you're right. That this kind of changes your relationship. And I think um, the advantage of having these kinds of apps help you learn this is that you, um, at least I don't, I don't feel dumb asking them the app again. Oh, you know, I should remember that. I heard it last year or yesterday, but um, I've already forgotten. And so um, there is an app equivalent called iSeq for identifying plants and flowers, which is just the same thing. It's mind boggling and it changes your life forever because wherever you go, you just hold your camera up and it tells you what that plant is. Mm. And so um, it, you know, again, you can kind of go back and be the slow learner with no embarrassment because it's, it doesn't care. And so um, I, I found that that is, um, transforms our walks in when we do walks is because we're really slowly kind of learning all the the names and there's something about learning a name that kind of is a little platform to help learn more about it mm. I, I find that if I don't know the name of it it's harder for me to learn more about the thing or its biology but having a little name is is a little handle yeah, it creates a space in your brain to like yes, put the facts. Exactly, right, in. right. Which is a little slot now where you can put the extra information. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I, I have often been a slow learner when it comes to identifying things in nature. My husband grew up in Mill Valley where uh -huh. there he so he, he walk takes a hike and he just knows the name of everything. And I'm just right, like, right, oh, right. I don't know any of this. Um, so I can relate to that. But it's interesting. We went to a 
uh, Marin County Parks event a few weeks mm-hmm. ago as a family. It was a mushroom hike to identify yes. mushrooms. And it was led by a park ranger who's getting his PhD in mycology. Yeah. Um, and he actually had the group use that app, the iSeek right. app, right. to identify a mushroom because it turns out like his PhD is in a very specific type of mushroom. And he, even he used this app to right. I, something he's a, a, a super expert on. Um, so that made me feel like, yeah, okay. If, if someone with a PhD is using this app <laughs> to identify something, he literally is getting a PhD in. That's yeah. uh, that's uh, totally great yeah. for me to use it too. And, and, and I, have, I was surprised that it does the same app is pretty good with mushrooms as well. And mushrooms are just famously difficult to mm. identify at a, a, beyond a certain level. I mean, there's, there's, families and there's basic easy ones but you know if you get into it very far you're looking at spores and things that that are secondary and third level um, identification however for many people you know i don't know maybe i would say 40 percent of the mushrooms this app would identify and mm-hmm. at least the, to the family so that's a second recommendation is i seek but merlin is just fantastic for birds and um I highly recommend it. And I think it's still free, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Yeah. I know. Isn't that amazing? It's super amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, oh, by the way, you need to load libraries in it. So if you're traveling somewhere else to a different continent or somewhere far away, you may need to, if you really want to use, you may need to load the library because it takes up space on your phone. Yes, exactly. I know the, my kids were so excited to use it the first time and we kept having to load things. So it's true. It's like, give yourself a good 15 minutes before you're ready to start using it to get it all set up. And you you need all, you need different accounts and things like that. (laughs) So, well, thank you. That's really fantastic. Um, So Jane, let's talk about your special project and your, um, um, your book that um, has just come out. And um, I'm a big fan of it. Um, There it is imaginable um which is um in my estimation the best book i've seen on how to learn about anticipating the future um there are a lot of books that do that but there's really none that really teach you how to do that and i think that's what i would cast your your book as you may have a different opinion about what it is but that's what i would say no that's um first of all thank you for those kind words that is literally the nicest thing I could hope to hear because you are, you are like the original person who was able to think creatively and strategically about, um, the future, especially here in Silicon Valley. Um, I do think of it as essentially a handbook or guide. Um, you know, I, I think I'm one of the few people who really uses games systematically in the, in the practice of future forecasting games that are inspired by, Mm-hmm. you know, advances in computer games and video game genres. And I, I didn't want to be the only person who, you know, could create these games or design playable scenarios. So I wanted to write a book that would teach people to do this um, in the same way that we saw an explosion of independent game design. And there's a yeah. whole indie game movement. I mean, I'm hoping anybody who reads this book will start designing their own scenarios and, you know, hosting their own scenario clubs and playing around the kitchen table the way, you know, you might play a board game or a card game, we can start playing with future. So it's, that's exactly, I'm trying to teach people how Mm -hmm. to, how to, how to play 
their own design and play their own future games. When I, um, when, when you are doing a workshop and trying to help people think and teaching them about scenarios, is, is there one or two tips that you could right now give people that you have found that really helps people transition from maybe what they normally would do to a, a better way of doing it. Is there, is there a couple of things that you have found that helps people the most when they're trying to, to do this? Mm, well, you know, um, as a game designer, you always play test your games with people mm -hmm. to see, is it fun? Do they understand the rules? How long does it take them to understand you know, what, what the possibilities are in this game space? And I think we need that same kind of practice developing future scenarios. And one of the things that I always encourage people to do is, you know, you essentially play test these ideas and really get a sense very early on. Do people understand what you're trying to share? I think um, we often underestimate the, the gap between just people walking around ordinary life, you know, really thinking about what's going on right now and all of this, the stuff we have in our mind, when we think about the future, we practice futures thinking, um, there's often a bigger gap. So really play testing early. Do ordinary people understand this? Um, do they have fun imagining it? So I think a lot of times, um, the early scenarios that I come up with the first versions of them, maybe they're, they're not quite fun enough to think about they're, they're It's like, whoa, it's too overwhelming, or I can't see what I would do mm -hmm. in these situations. Um, and so, you know, I oftentimes will try to make a future, like, where's the fun in this future? Who made this future happen on purpose? Like why, you know, why, yeah. um, what, what are some of the benefits that, so trying to offset, um, because I often look at future risks and right, 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 threats right. and that sort of thing. But I, I think that sort of play test mentality, yeah. see what people do with it. Can they clearly imagine it? Can they describe back to you what's new and different right, about right. the world, really making it accessible right, and playable. Right. One thing I, I found, and I, I think you, you touch on in your book um, in people thinking about um, the future. It's useful um, to do, what the journalists call self-distancing, where you kind of imagine, trying to imagine not from your current self point of view, but either somebody else mm -hmm. or yourself in the future. And that idea of like giving you permission to try to think about it from a different point of view can un release you from some of your assumptions that you yes. have. So it's like, well, you know, pretend that you are a Martian arriving here or you're, that you're actually, that you are, you know, I don't know, born in Africa and you are going to do this. That self-distancing, separating that view from your current view allows the person to release some of their assumptions that they have would have difficulty doing otherwise. Mm, and it's, another one is imagining that you are a, a future self looking at this is, is another way to do that. Yes. It's interesting. Um, some of the games that I've developed have been for the world bank and they take them into developing areas. And mm -hmm. we found that even just asking people to imagine themselves 10 years in the future, mm -hmm. they were able to imagine themselves being more 
ambitious, more creative, more hopeful. Um, and it actually became a practice for the World Bank to, to instead of saying, you know, imagine yourself starting a social enterprise, like tackle all of these issues in your community today, they start by having the mm. young people imagine themselves solving a problem 10 years from now, because mm. then they give themselves a little more credit for right, you know, actions right. they could possibly take. And mm. it, it becomes um, a way to sort of, then you kind of bridge your way back. Right, okay, right, right. well, here we are today. What do we feel ready to right, try right. today? Yeah. And I think another technique, which I think you, you mentioned in the book too, is this idea of, um, again, a future self, but this future self is where the future has already happened. It's a given. There's no question about it. And the question is, well, how did we get there? Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. kind of like, it's not like, well, what if it's like, well, no, it happens. We have, you know, I don't know, we have flying cars or we have something that's for sure. And so, you know, that for sure. So now write the story of how we got there and that, often kind of, again, unleashes people from the thing, well, that's impossible. We can't have it. Here's all the things why it won't happen. No, 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 no. It actually happened. And you have to tell the story of how it happened. And that is, is another way of kind of forcing people over the hurdle of the barrier of, of all the reasons why they think it can't happen. Yes, exactly. And we have this game that we play a hundred ways. Anything could be different in the future. And we brainstorm essentially a hundred things that sound impossible. Right. Um, and, and then each team picks one of these impossible futures and their job is to go out and find the signals of change and the drivers of change that maybe could actually make this, you know, ridiculous at first sounding scenario plausible. And they come back with, you know, their story. Well, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous that there's no minimum voting age anymore. Babies can vote in the future. Right, right, right. Okay. How did this happen? Um, and it turns out that, you know, even if you're literally imagining something that you are very confident will never, ever happen, just that skill of looking for the clues that challenge our assumptions about what can and cannot change. It's such a good practice. You start to see clues to surprising change everywhere. Yeah. 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 And, and your, your book is kind of full of these kinds of exercises, techniques, strategies of, of this. These are just a few of, of them, but I, and I highly recommend it because um, this skills, the skills that we're talking about right now are kind of practiced by, by futurists and others, people to help other people think, but, but it really is um, a life skill, I think, for people in the modern world. And, and that is, is because our future is changing at such a rate that even within our own lifetime, we will experience significant change. And so we, as an individuals, need to get better at this ourselves, just trying to um, prepare for, um, for things that are coming. And the, the terminology that I use is that, you know, and, and I know that you agree with it, is you can't really predict things, but what we're after is to not be surprised by them. Mm -hmm. Right. It's exactly. like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, no, no, we, we, we can't predict that this is going to happen, but we want to be ready and prepared and not surprised by when that happens. So we're going to have to be not surprised by lots of things that won't happen. They'll never happen. But, but if they do, we're going to be kind of like, Oh yeah, I can see that. And um, I'll be ready for it. 
And if we can make it fun to prepare, right? right. As we play with these possibilities, then it's great. We're feeling more creative. We're, we're feeling like an interesting person who knows lots of right, cool right. stuff. And then if we ever wake up in a world that is shocking the rest right. of society, we have thought about it a little bit, um, then maybe we can adapt a little faster, help others more effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I think collectively, the the, the step is, is um, in terms of not being surprised or prepared, is that we would actually have some things in place mm-hmm. for what we would do if X happens. Mm-hmm. Like, what's our what's our program? What's our agenda? What's our policy that that collectively that we would kind of agree that, yeah, I don't know if it happened, but if it did, here's what we should probably do about it. And that's that would be where as a society level where we would go to if everybody is sort of doing this on a regular basis. Yes. Um, I, I love that, you know, like a, like a, an, like a proper futurist, you're already scaling the, the potential long-term <laughs> impact of, of just, you know, people buying a book like imaginable and teaching themselves. What's the biggest, best version we can scale this up for the future. Yeah. Because, you know, again, I, within my own lifetime, like, you know, just say, taking the internet, for example, um, you know, I was writing about it in the early eighties and to me, it was evident and to a lot of other people that this was coming and we were saying, you know, like, get ready. It's going to come. It's going to change schools and how we do schooling and all these other things. And um, nobody, nobody prepared. Nobody was ready. We could have done so much more collectively to be ready for the gains and to be ready for the harms. Um, and so it wasn't as if, People should not have been surprised and we could have been as a society much better prepared. And so that's, that's my hope is that we learn to do it individually. I I think learning to do it individually as you're trying to help people and you're also trying to tell people who are professional too, but I think that's really a great first step in this transformation where this becomes common and the default and taught in schools. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, it's like and, and your gamification and making it play is, is, is important because it is or I should say Michael Schrager wrote this book, Serious Play. I don't know if you remember it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's serious play. It's like it's 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 play. But play is very uh, vital. Yeah. That, that, that playfulness is necessary. It, it's it's how you do this. So there's there's a it's kind of like innovation. Innovation has to be playful in a certain sense and so yes it's playful but this play is serious yes absolutely not a paradox you know when we play we even when we're playing our favorite traditional games we do take it seriously right we pour all of our attention and effort and creativity and ingenuity so um yeah we can play seriously with the future yeah so i recommend imaginable off for sale wherever books are sold and um it's 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 well worth your well worth your time um to read um and uh if you don't know anything about the futurist world um all the really good strategies and techniques i think jane have captured them there so there's a great introduction if you want to do this you know on a more serious manner but thank you for a great book Oh, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. And thank you for the great tool tips as well. Yes. We're all going to be spinning on carousels in the future. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jane. Um, And um, until next week, um, we'll see you with the Cool Tools Show and Tell. So thank you.
We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, uh, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website. Um, and they are also free. And finally, um, I want to mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan and um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks to this week's Patreons. They include Rachel Steele, Michael Lenardi, David Robson, Barbara Patel, James Boismer, Daniel Cochran, Edge Cetra, Melissa Feldman, and Jeremy. Thank you all.